May 21st, 2023. We're continuing in Mesilat Yesharim. We're in Perik Yod Dalet. Bechelkeha Perishut. Ramchal is uh, explaining for us the uh, different uh, parts, the different aspects of Perishut. Perishut meaning separating or abstaining from matters that are inappropriate. And the first that he described uh, of three parts was Perishut Bahanaot. Really talked a lot about that in Perik Yod Gimal. And that was different matters in this world. Ma'achalot, be'ilot, malbushim, tiulim, overeating, overindulging in relations, clothing that's uh, too flashy, too expensive, too fancy, tiulim, uh, over traveling uh, for inappropriate or unnecessary reasons and so forth. That was the first halik uh, uh, with regards to pirishut. Then he talked about pirishut bidinim. That's really what we focused on a lot last time, and that was with regards to humrot. That was with regards to stringencies, the appropriateness of accepting stringencies. Of course, under circumstances where it's not going to be a humrah ha'mevi'ali dekula, he warned us, it shouldn't be a stringency which will inadvertently bring a person to leniency. You're so stringent in this, you forgot to do or you neglected to do something else. But in the context of talking about the appropriateness, and again, he reminded us, Ramchal did, about how we're talking about perushim. We're not talking per se about every person, but we're talking about perushim. He cited the Gemara in Masechet Cholin and The Gemara over there talks about Mor Ukva, who talks about himself uh, vis-a-vis his father. And by mentioning this Gemara, Ramchal really, he made clear several aspects. First and foremost, it was Mor expression about his father. He said his father in between meat and milk would wait a full day. And uh, as a result, we see from that a certain stringency, which is appropriate. At the same time, though, Mor expression was about himself that he was halal gabe hamra. He was like vinegar compared to wine. His father was the wine who had the appropriate separation, abstinence from the milk and meat. And he himself, he went just from se'udah le se'udah, from one meal to the next, which we today, based on Harambam, Shohan Aruch, interpret as six hours for Sfaradim at the very least. But you see, the expression of, of, of Mor'ukva is very important as well, because what Mor'ukva is saying, unapologetically, he is yearning to be like his father, but at the same time he's saying, that's not where I am. He's admitting to the fact, and Ramchal is alluding to this for us as well, every person needs to know where they are. In other words, so maybe Morokva, if he knew that about his father, he should be like Hamra, he should be like the wine who could wait a full 24 hours in between meat and milk. No, there's appropriate times and appropriate circumstances and appropriate people and situations for Homrot. The purpose of Homrot, we discussed, we explained, is to focus a person, to refine their approach with regards to halakha. Instead of confining, that's the general way a person says, a humrah stringency will take me further away from the uh, nature of the law. It'll take me further away from what I want to do in terms of attaching myself to God. It's to refine our perspective. It's to give us a purpose, a, a, a certain focus, a certain purposeful intent as we do things. If there's a humrah which uh, moves you away from the Isur, it can in turn bring you, since you're separated from that, away from those distractions. I wanted to, in the context of these matters, just mention one piece from this book called Halichot Shelomo. Halichot Shelomo is from Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach, Zichron Olivracha, one of the Gedolei Yerushalayim, passed away in 1995. And uh, in this book on Hilchot Tefillah, in, on page Nunhe, 
there's a certain warning, a certain perspective with regards to Humrod. Now, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach was far from being a lenient posik in the general sense of the word. It's not to say that he was always Mahmir, but he was a balanced posik. And as a result, uh, when you read his words, when you hear his words, you shouldn't imagine that he's trying to tell everyone you should be lenient. It's all about the leniency. No, it's far from it. It's the following words. This is his students writing, that it was a, a pearl in the mouth of their rabbi. This was something he would often say. That only after, after the person truly, after you or me, truly immersed ourselves in the halakha, in the sources to the halakha, in the development of the halakha, then and only then, then it's appropriate to be mahmir. He says, after all, there is this general question. We talked about this in Misilat Yisharim. How could you be stringent? You're supposed to follow what the sibur does, what the normative practice is, what's reflected, generally speaking, in Shohan Aruch. Ela, however, tekevan she'he'emik basugya v'da'ato nota l'hachmir, since you delved into, you went deep on the sugya, and you determined that you should be stringent, alav l'hachmir, then and only then should you be stringent. Because in that circumstance, the situation, you decided this is what's appropriate. And in turn, that's the promise, that's the blessing that we talk about. But a person who just hears about new stringencies, I heard that that person does this way, or that you could, or maybe should do this way. In that situation, and remember the context within which we've been talking about humrot and misilat yesharim. The purpose of a stringency is to refine your perspective. If it's not being refined, but rather confined, in other words, by being more stringent, you take yourself away from ways of attaching yourself to matters of kiddushah, of sanctity, of involving yourself in the appropriate things. Hatafil ikar. It means that the matter, which is the tafil, which is the uh, side, uh, the ancillary part, the secondary, becomes the most important. You lost vision, you lost sight. It's only when you truly understand the halacha and you've determined and decided this is appropriate, that's where humrah is, is not only okay, it's maybe praiseworthy. And especially and specifically when it's going to be a burden for those who surround you because of your humrah. And so to Rabbi Orbach would respond, People would ask him, should we not depend on an eruv of the city? Assuming under the circumstances where it's built in the appropriate way, he would answer in such a fashion. He tells two stories, this a student in the footnote. He says, He specifically was bothered when he would see men walking with their wives, and their wives were pushing the babies and carrying the bags, but the men were walking on the side of them. He said that was very inappropriate. Instead of partaking in your responsibilities as a husband and raising your children, you put it on your wife because of a humrah. Clearly, you don't think it's asur, then why is your wife carrying? Uh, likewise, he mentions, uh, well, he mentions along those lines, said there was once a young man who accepted a humrah 
but then he got married, and uh, the question was, should he continue it? He's going to be not caring, his wife's going to be caring, and Rabbi Arbach said, you need to do a hatara. Do a hatara, you can accept this as a humrah when it's the circumstances that are appropriate. When you're with your wife, when you're with your children, inappropriate. Likewise, he mentions how uh, he once saw a man together with his father, and his father was carrying the agala, was pushing the stroller, but the man was walking side by side, and he was so angry about that, Rabbi Arbach. He said, there's a mitzvah of kibud avayim, of mora avayim, of fearing and honoring our parents. And instead of fearing and honoring your father, you've accepted a humrah in this circumstance, which brings forth something for you, but at the loss of an appropriate fulfillment of the mitzvot aseh, mitzvot lot of the Torah, of mora and of kibud avayim. The, the upshot, the, the main purpose of, of me quoting this is to be very careful with regards to Humrah. Mesilat Yisharim is purposefully, rightfully, stressing to us the appropriateness, the importance, the significance of Humrah, of stringencies in our Avodat Hashem. But they have to be done, they have to be done appropriately with the right mindset. They have to be with the perspective, not just of I'll be better by, uh, how and why have you determined this? It has to be that the Humrah is not mevili de kula. Go ahead. What about What about does not have leniencies as part of perishut, obviously. Uh, a leniency would need to be used bishatadahak. In other words, a leniency, probably what you're referring to is me'ikar hadin halacha is X. But, based on your circumstance, you're going to veer away from Shohan Aruch, provided that a posek or you, whatever, whoever the posek halacha is in the circumstance, it's b'sha'at ha-dahak. ha-dahak means you're in a pressing situation. Pressing situation as such. Otherwise, we're not lenient on the ikar hadin. It's only b'sha'at ha-dahak if yeshal mili smoch. Otherwise, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't press a leniency forward. You know, it is in this context, just lastly, in Siman Kof Ayin Gimal, in Ora Hayim, Shohan Aruch quotes from Maharami Rotenberg. Maharami Rotenberg was a very important, he was the rabbi of the Rosh. In his Sheilotu Teshubot, he tells the following, he says that he had heard and he scoffed at it, he didn't think it was appropriate that people after dairy would wait before eating meat. And he thought that was an inappropriate minhag. The Gemara, the Halakha is only when you're going from meat into dairy, not from dairy into meat. And then he said there was a takala that once came his way. There was a difficult situation and he seemed to fall prey to the fact that he had eaten the dairy and it was going to be mixed with the meat. I don't think he specifies exactly what happened. And he realized that maybe it's an appropriate humrah, so he accepted upon himself. Shohan Aruch Bet Yosef there in Kofayim Gimal says, the truth is we find something similar in Zohar, but uh, the Maharam really leaves us wondering. Shohan Aruch never quotes this humrah of waiting in between dairy and meat. There are those who follow the words of the Mekubalim who will make certain to wait in between dairy and meat, maybe an hour, maybe longer. But uh, in terms of Pesach Alakha, Shohan Aruch never brings it. Interestingly, and very relevant to our conversation, Yam Shel Shilomo, that's Maharshal, Rabbi Shilomo Luria, Shach quotes him in Shohan Aruch and Yore De'ah. Uh, Yam Shel Shilomo points out, he says, the only reason Maharam said that this was appropriate was because he experienced a situation where there was a danger, there was a pitfall, and as a result, he accepted this Humrah. Now, this Humrah is above and beyond what we've been talking We've been talking about this it's a question in the post-film, do A or do B. Over here, the Gemara never addresses going from dairy to meat. You're almost going against Gemara. 
but nonetheless says maharshal humrot in general, specifically in this situation where it's a humrah on top of the Talmud, need to be taken into account with regards to the person's circumstances. Was this relevant to you? Did you realize that this was appropriate? Not just heke, I accepted it. Otherwise, like Maharam says, initially I thought it was inappropriate. Again, all the details aside, the conversation that we're having in opening this class and talking about the con- and continuing the conversation about Humrot, which Misilat Yashari mentioned, is to just realize and be mindful of the fact that Humrot are and could bring a person to appropriate pity shoot, to an appropriate status and stature of Kedushah, but they need to be chosen, they need to be approached with caution with regards to how it reflects on you vis-a-vis others, how it affects your relationship with others, and how and if it will influence your relationship, your connection to Borei Olam. Uh, that, that being the case, we have one last domain of Pirishut, which Misilat Yesharim needs to address for us. He talked about, again, Pirishut Bahana'ot, Pirishut Bidinim, and now he writes at the beginning, at the end of, of Perek Yodav, Vaha Pirishut Bimminhagim, with regards to general activity, with regards to the way a person... Um, carries themselves in a social atmosphere. What's the pity shoot that's appropriate then? Who? Hahitbodedut vehahibadel mina hevraha medinit lefanot libo el haavoda vahitbonenut ba karaui. What's a pity shoot bimin hagim? It's a person who separates themselves from the social, societal gatherings and atmospheres so that they focus their minds and hearts and they open them appropriately for, for proper contemplation, for introspection, for thinking about matters clearly. As we mentioned last time, in Hasidut Breslov, they very much focus on hitbodidut, hispodidus. That's a very important uh, feature. They didn't uh, discover this concept. You find it in Divrei Chachamim. You have it even by Mesorah. The Mesorah is Badad Yeshev, Mechutz Lamachane. And why is he Badad Yeshev? The understanding in that context, according to many, is a Mesorah, whom we are told from the Chachamim, got his, uh, his, his, uh, his, his uh, affliction because of something he did wrong. Generally speaking, we assume it was an interpersonal wrongdoing. It's the Gemara tells us that you know, Lashon Hara, among many others, was the wrong was the wrongdoing of the person. Separate them so that they can introspect, so that they can think about what it is that I should be doing. You have it in other places as well, where there's hitbodedut. Moshe Rabbeinu, before receiving the Torah, as on Har Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. There's a certain appropriateness of hitbodedut, of being separate, of contemplation, of separating so that I reflect appropriately and you have it bodedut as well on Lil Pesach and Yisiyah Misraim. That was the way it was. There's even similarities in the Pesukim to Mesorah. How on that night, which is known as Lil Shimurim, everyone was supposed to separate themselves in their homes. And the way Ibn Ezra in his commentary to the Torah seems to articulate is this is similar to Mesorah. How is it similar to Mesorah? A time for reflection, a time for understanding. So it means that Mesilat Yesharim over here in talking about Hitbodidut is not per se a breast of a chassid. Uh, the truth is Rabbeinu Avraham ben Harambam in his Sefer HaMaspik talks about this as well. But we find a lot of parallels. It's not to say per se, as we'll address in a moment, that it's a life of Hitbodidut, that it's a hermetic lifestyle. I separate myself from society, place myself in a room and run away from everyone. It is to say, however, 
an appropriate time, each person, every individual based on their circumstance, needs to steal away time to stop, pause, reflect, introspect, decide, understand, study Torah in such a fashion, think about Divrei Musar, maybe even approach Halacha through a separation. Instead of always being a part of a group who's discussing it, who's discussing something or another, there's an appropriateness of walking individually. It's well known about Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the father of the, um, of the Musar movement. He was very much mitboded at appropriate times. He would take walks. He would take walks for introspection. He would take walks for reflection. He would take walks for, for self-growth. It's not walks that are inappropriate, the tiyudim. It's itpodedut. Says, uh, says, He says very clearly, don't believe, don't think for a moment that this itpodedut can or should bring you to an extreme. A person should be liked, a certain should be mixed in and, uh, and, and beloved amongst the people. Uh, that's, you can't have that if you're not amidst the people. You're supposed to be amidst the people, but you're supposed to be able to be mitboded. It's a difficult, it's a, it's a very difficult line to tell. I mean, the, the Torah, as I always point out, in Sefer B'midbar is forcing us to notice this throughout, to be a part of the Hevra, the Kelawa, at the same time separating ourselves. We just read about in Parashat B'midbar, they were counting the people, B'mispar Shemot. They were numbers, but at the same time, they were names. You're part of something, you're Me'oravim Abiriot, but at the same time, you're separated from them. Each one of these circumstances in Sefer B'midbar teases, teases us to try to determine how can I do this while at the same time being a part of this. Do I need to separate myself or can I at the same time be a part of this appropriately? So, and the Chachamim interpret this as being a sword which is on the neck of those who are bad bevad. That's a euphemism. It means the actual Tamideh Chachamim. There's a sword, so to speak, on the necks, in the uh, up against those who are scholars, those who are studying Torah, who study Torah individually. So there's really two aspects Mesilat Yesharim addressed for us over here. Number one, just in general, you're supposed to be me'oravim abiriyot. It's part of who you're supposed to be, say the hachamim. Furthermore, it's going to aid your Tamut Torah at the same time. Before at the same time. And as a result, you should be amongst people, the right people, the tobim, uh, as necessary for, for your income, as necessary for your study, as necessary for your self-growth, for your social uh, wherewithal, so your, for emotional um, strength and, uh, and, and capabilities. However, you should then separate yourself in order to uh, strive for uh, optimal growth. I remember once reading from Rabbi Norman Land, he described how he doesn't know of any great person who achieved greatness by just being a part of the group. Nobody, that by definition, to, try, to strive for greatness means you need to, at points, separate yourself. I remember he cited from Abar Benel that I've quoted more than once that the Mishnah at the beginning of Pirkei Avot says Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. 
and says Umesar Ali Yoshua and so forth. But what does it mean Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai? The Mefashim asked this question about Benel. He didn't receive it from Sinai, he received it from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He received it by Sinai, at Har Sinai, not from Har Sinai. The description is he received it from Har Sinai because that's how he was able to, uh, to receive the Torah. As we mentioned a moment ago, he had Itbodedut, he had a separation, he needed, a, he had a necessary stage of separation in order to receive the Torah. Moshe Kibel Torah, Mi Sinai, the experience of Sinai, of separation of Moshe, Bahar, Arba'in Yom, Arba'in Laila, Lechem no Achalti, Umayim lo Shatiti, I didn't eat and I didn't drink, I would focus, I was separated from people, that was Moshe Kibel Torah, Mi Sinai, I recall him quoting from Abar Benel, and as a result, extending this idea of hitbodidut from the hevra, from the society, from the social gatherings, as appropriate, lemaet bidiburo, I should say, minimal speech, siagla, chokma, shetika, vilizaher minasiha betela, and to be careful to caution yourself from inappropriate, unnecessary, idle chatter and speech. And the, the description uh, in, these, in these words, as I understand it, it's, it's alluding to the words of Rabbi Akiva in Perekimal of Pirkei Avot, that Siagla Chokhmah Shetika, the concept of Siagla Chokhmah Shetika is that sometimes we appreciate and we realize what we have most when we don't exhibit it. When I just pay attention to what you're saying, I'm looking for knowledge, you'd say it's through questions, it's through conversation. That's true. But sometimes I get so caught up in the conversations and the questions that I lose track. Again, the whole pedic, all of pedishut, as we're suggesting, is about focus. I lost focus of what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to achieve chokmah. I wanted to become wise. I ended up just talking. I ended up just asking the questions without actually listening for something. If you're looking to build a gate for knowledge, it begins with silence, being able to hear the other. It's along those lines I've understood as well that Rabbi Akiva says that uh, I think is the exact Lashon. If you want to become wealthy, so to speak, you should give a tenth of your belongings. Yes, there is the Dirashab Hachamim, which seems to describe it as supernatural, which it might be as well. Give a tenth in order to become rich. Maybe there's a natural side of it as well. The more I realize by giving my money up, the value of my money, the way in which it affects me, the more I'll be able to appropriately procure it, the more I'll be able to and I'll know how to value it. The concept then being that oftentimes our focus is set straight. We're able to bring forth, uh, doing away with distractions by realizing what it is that we have by minimizing in its usage. We, we, we talk about how distance makes, uh, makes the heart grow fonder. The idea being the same, I'm, I'm separated, which in turn means I'm focused, I'm thinking about that person, that being all the time. And along these lines, Charles and I have talked about this over the course of the week, what I mentioned last week, about not looking, not peering beyond your four cubits, your six feet. Now again, every person based on their circumstance, it's certainly difficult for me. The example, the extreme example that we gave last week was Rabelia Lapian, who wouldn't turn, pick up his, pick up his head when he or didn't want to, and he once did when the bus wasn't coming to check if the bus was coming. 
he reasoned, he explained, I mean, what, what's he gaining? Um, the bus is either coming or it's not coming. It's not preparing himself anymore by looking up. We suggested the more we look at our phone when we're expecting an email or we decide that something needs to be coming, but it's not here, so then we're effectively distracting ourselves without a purpose. It's not to say that you can't look at things when there's a purpose. Now, this is not simple. Um, we're certainly conditioned to a, a society, to a world of distractions. That is the name of the game. But the more we can work on it, the lifestyle we'll have will be more wholesome. The lifestyle we'll have will be more focused. And as a result, it'll be a lot more successful as well. That's the perishut. Perishut means the separation, the moving away from the excess, from the extra, so that I focus on myself. So my optimal growth is achieved through doing so. Interestingly, Mesirat Yisharim concludes this paragraph by saying that you work on these things until they become bateva, until they become natural, they become innate. The commentary that I have over here is the commentary called Et La'asot from Rabbi Avraham Baum. And he, uh, he's medayek in these words, and he says that it's specifically pity shoot canon will be appropriate and optimal for a person in terms of their growth when it becomes natural. If we find ourselves just in an unnatural way, being mahmir, find ourselves, well, I want to pick up my head, but I'm pushing down my head, and I want to do this. In all those circumstances, it will, again, become more of a distraction than something which refines my vision. Again, the idea being, this becomes natural to who you are, so you're a more focused person. But we all know the awkward person who's trying to be someone that he's not. If it's not coming naturally, if you're not there yet, then you shouldn't be working on these things in such a fashion because it'll take you away from appropriate avodat Hashem. The words that he mentions, are very telling. That's the direction. If it's not becoming teva, then it's probably inappropriate, at least to you at that point. These three, these three parts, as we mentioned, the perishut from Hanaot, from Dinim, and from Minhagim. Even though I've given you short, broad perspectives with regard to each one. You should know, and you've realized, if you've thought about this, there's so much that's encapsulated, incorporated within these short headings, three paragraphs. And as a result, I already told you, says Ramchal, told you the details need to be done and, appro- and, and approached by a person who has shikul hadat for yosher, person who has an appropriate wisdom, mindfulness, uh, has a straightness with regards to his or her approach to the world. He might be alluding, the commentary here says, to the Pasuk, um, which has uh, the following in Mishle, Your eyes should be looking forward, and your eyelids will give you straightness in front of you. Quotes from Gaon Vilna, who of course is after Ramchal, but maybe it's the same interpretation Ramchal has in mind. Don't become too righteous, don't become too wicked. Don't be too wise, don't be too silly. This 
the description again is about the straightness of approach. The kelal and the perat, which Mesilat Yesharim is describing at the conclusion over here, means to say that we have general perspectives which, if taken in the, uh, in the particular circumstance, in the wrong direction, it will take you off the right hook. But it's a good thing to do. But the homra is appropriate, is it not? I heard that person's doing it. That will be al Sadiq Habeh. The conclusion then of Mesilat Yesharim in this context is, is again stressing the point that as much as Perishut is part of the Kinyan of an individual who's searching for Kedushah, it needs to be done with care, with precaution, with the appropriate ways of determining, of deciding with Shikul Hadat, with Yosher Afapecha, the Pasuk in Mishle, of what it is that you're at in life, the Murukva circumstance, again, very telling we began with, when he unabashedly says, I am like the vinegar to my father who's the wine, uh, but uh, wait a second, shouldn't you be like wine? What seems to be clear is Murukva assumed at his stage, at his status in life, he was not ready yet for that wine. Baruch Amen, Amen.